I'm Nareet Ben. This is Life Deconstructed. Intimate, open conversations with inspiring women from all different fields and backgrounds, how they got to where they are, the debates, decisions, and doubts along the way, and what success even means. She's a globally successful singer, songwriter, musician, and composer who sings in Hebrew, Arabic, and French. Reef Cohen's music doesn't fit neatly into any one category. It's been described as modern Middle Eastern rock or Algerian folk, but it's also the kind of sound that blends influences so vividly, it's better to just listen instead of label. She was born to parents of Tunisian and French-Algerian origins, raised in Israel, and took an artistic scholarship in Paris, where her appropriately titled hit debut album, A Paris, was born. She's since toured the world and released two more albums, A la Monte in 2015, and Quelle heure est-il, or What Time Is It, right in the middle of the pandemic. Amid work on her fourth album, Reef spoke candidly about the all-consuming process of creation and the fear of releasing it into the world, on discovering her femininity, and on learning to live peacefully with her fierce inner critic and to own her success. Reef Cohen, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so happy to see you, and it's fun to see you not on stage and relaxing for a moment. Yeah, thank you. For me too. So I always like to start kind of at the beginning with all the women on the show to hear kind of the origin story. And I think for you, I mean, I know for you, it is such a specific situation because your background, your family origins in North Africa, obviously shaped so much of what you do, so much of your art. So I wonder, was was that part of growing up for you already? Did you feel, you know, those origins and those influences or did that part of your identity kind of wake up later on? I felt it, but I was not in conscience about it. You understand what I mean? I have a Ashkenazi girlfriend. My Ashkenazi girlfriend came to my grandmother. And I remember for the first time, the thing that she saw, it's things that I never saw. For example, she said, ah, wow, it's so amazing to have a bed in the middle of the salon. In the living room, really? So she said, wow, it's amazing. I want also to have a, a bed in the living room. <laughs> And then I started to to think about the concept that it's very uh, Mizrahi, how to say it? More Eastern Jews. Yeah, Eastern Jews, Mediterranean also. It's interesting, though, that you only saw that when your friend, when your Ashkenazi friend, Ashkenazi for people who don't know, Jews who are of European, Eastern European origin, that you only saw that part of yourself through the eyes of someone else, because it's so often like that. I guess you had like a gradual awakening of these uh, French, Algerian, Tunisian origins. Completely. And I suddenly saw everything. You know what it is for me? Like I was, I think, uh, 21 or two, that suddenly all her story, everything matched together. And I saw it like a specific culture that is North African. But since I was very young, I had a special connection with my grandmother. And I, I liked her stories because, first of all, she knew how to tell stories very with a lot of spice inside. Like she cook, you know, it's very spicy but the way she tells stories is also a bit exaggerating you don't know if it's true or a legend or yeah yeah i i know this style really well <laughs> it's completely uh, crazy sometimes <laughs> and sometimes it's a reality and sometimes it's really reality <laughs> 
So did that change when you had this sort of realization of kind of this very rich history that you come from? Did it change your perception of yourself? To tell you the truth, I'm still shocked that uh, I have this identity. Really? I'm 100% North African. It's crazy. It's quite rare. First of all, in, in the center of Tel Aviv, we are mostly mixed. Voila! Suddenly I, I understood it. Before becoming Rif Cohen, as everyone knows you, when in this whole process, was it before this kind of identity awakening? At what point did music really hit you? Because I think you had classical voice training, you were composing on piano. Like when did music become part of your life? Since I was very young, I wanted to be a singer. So you had a clearer dream. Yes, it's funny, but because I did a lot of circles and in the end I became a singer, but I learned uh, acting in school and then I discovered that I don't like to lie. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I've never heard it described like that. You don't like to lie for a living. Yeah, exactly. I'm not good at it. And I feel that I have many, so many things to say. As Reef, not as a different character. Exactly. That uh, to play a different role or personality or different text to put in my mouth, it's like a jail, you know, for me. So for me to be on the piano... It was the basic of everything for me to express myself. Since I'm eight years old, I started to compose and to text songs. And that just came sort of spontaneously? I needed. Even uh, when I learned uh, the piano, I know now because I have kids. So I see the difference also. So uh, when I learned the uh, uh, piece, for example, I wanted to fix the piece. Okay. I felt I would do it differently, that I want to change it. It's amazing, though, that you had that early on. That's a big sign that you're onto the right thing. You're onto the right path in some way. So I remember I, I learned pieces of classical composers, very big, yeah. And you're like, this Mozart guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Beethoven, okay, we got to make some corrections here. <laughs> yes, I remember I started to compose on the piece something else that I like. I had also... A very difficult difficulties in uh, reading uh, notes. And uh, if uh, the world was more developed, the world could help me understand my kind of brain yeah. because I remember it was hard for me to read the notes, but I remember by heart everything. Wow. I had a much lesser, much, 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 much lesser version. I played piano for like 10 years when I was younger. Unfortunately, stopped when I moved to New York because a piano can't fit in a, you know, one meter size apartment. <laughs> but I was always so frustrated because I couldn't read notes quickly. Each time I read it, it was like I had to read it all over from the beginning. And I was also told, like, you're supposed to just be able to look at it and read it. And that's just the way. And I think that was part of my frustration. Also, why I ended up leaving it. I mean, I didn't have, obviously, that incredible skill you have. But it was definitely like there are certain ways you interpret it. It's that nobody told me it's a skill. I remember late, late, like 16 I went into a uh, uh, music department and I remember Dudu Sela, my big teacher, told me, you know, it's much better you will uh, perform us your own songs and not covers. I was sure that every musician composed music and just for the fun he wanted to do a cover. I understood it's rare to write songs and it was a big escape from a lot of things. For example, a, a therapist, I took like only 
31 years old. And then I said, where was I until now? I felt like in a delay from my my friends. But music was your therapy until then, I guess, or songwriting. Exactly. So emotionally, I didn't know how to express my feelings because I had the piano. And for me, it was a solution for every kind of problem. I always find it interesting when people have stuff that they love on the side versus the things they do in work. And at what point those things blend and at what point people realize that, you know, something that they love can actually be a job. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we had the bestselling uh, cookbook author, Adina Sussman. And she was also saying like, I'd only realized way, way, way late in life that I could actually write cookbooks and not just read it. Like, did you think of music as a serious career? Did you always think I can be a singer? I can be all these things? Or did it take a while to, to say this can really be my life? So I remember uh, it was quite young and it's a very interesting subject because I imagine everybody had it in a a certain time in their life. It's very uh, delicate and very sensitive because it's all the way you see your independent life and the way you see money, the way you see a job generally. So I remember this period uh, when I got out from high school and then I remember I had a like a bit of depression because in uh, high school we had rooms. Every room had uh, air conditioning and piano. And there, there is a machsan, like a storage room with all kinds of uh, instruments. And I had all the instruments, all the players, you know, all the, the kids in the, the department. And I could do everything I wanted. It was like... <gasps> A dream. So I want uh, like a cello, a contrabass. I want to have a quartet. I have imagination. So I just call my friends. I say tomorrow we're going to make a a rehearsal together. Uh, Already there, I saw that uh, I have things to do. I have, for example, songs. I have ideas. I want to do this. I want to hear it like this. I want to try this. And suddenly it's like developing. In high school, I was, I think, in the most high. A lot of songs, a lot, a lot, a lot. I was like waking up at six o'clock in the morning because I, I couldn't stop. There is this age that you play with your friends and they don't ask you money for it. This is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I tell all my young friends. That's a very friends, important creative age. Yeah, I tell them to to Lenatzel, how to, to say Lenatzel. To make the most of it. Like, you know, use this time where you, all your friends will do things with you without, <laughs> without asking for money. To create the most and to have your group of people that you play with uh, for free, you know, for fun. So let's talk about Paris because I feel like that's the culmination is Paris, your amazing hit debut album. First of all, you went there for a scholarship, right? And I guess you already had connections because your mother is French Algerian origin. Is that right? Yeah. What was it like to be there in terms of your own kind of self-discovery and that kind of thing? Okay. So in the beginning, I came to, to Paris with a lot of kinds of genre of music. Okay. Because I'm doing also classical, uh, piano, deep music, very meditative, very long, not at all pop music. And I had riff, the North African beats, uh, Arab beats uh, in French, uh, songs in English, songs in Hebrew. I remember I gave all the, 
the majors CD with with demos, but so many kind of riff coin, and I kind of let them choose. You know, I didn't know which direction I'm going. Yeah, like which one is the right identity? Which do you prefer? Which kind of music is the right? I remember I suffer a lot from this because, uh, and until now, I like so many different uh, genre of music, and my influence is so vast. It's always uh, hard for me to define and to make an icon that is specific for the world right. because the world needs something very straight, very clear. That's interesting because it seems to me that you did realize that all those things can become one because your music is all of those things together and that's what makes it so memorable and so incredible. Was there a point there that you realized, okay, I have to decide who I am. I have to put all these riffs together in one box and then, you know, give it out to the world. It was very hard for me, and I can tell you that even not long time ago, I understood something very important. I was quite afraid. How come I can do so happy songs with a lot of rhythm that sound very happy? And the, on the other side, I make songs that makes cry, you know? You felt like that's not okay? Like that you have to be one or the other? Yeah, I felt how come I have these both sides so extreme, so different. And uh, really not long time ago, I understood that it's the same energy. If you can cry easily, you can laugh easily. And more you get out your tears, so your laugh become much more clear and true and deep and free. It's also very human. Nobody is crying and sad all the time and nobody is happy and laughing all the time. You know, your music goes through all of those emotions that everybody goes through, maybe more powerfully, but it's very human. Exactly. But we used to hide our tears and like I need to be ashamed of this dramatic, deep, crazy uh, energy <laughs> that I didn't know how to see it. But today I know I understand. What you're saying just reminds me of one of your songs. It's actually my favorite, which is like I will reveal to you in Hebrew, which is definitely much more somber than your other music, but it's so powerful. And it feels to me completely in the same family as something like Apari, which is like on the other end of the spectrum in terms of the vibe. Yeah, exactly. So you're coming to realize all these things to try to figure out how you blend all these genres to create your own new sound. How does A Paris, your first album, happen then? Was it when you were in Paris, I guess? In Paris, uh, I decided uh, with the manager that I had, and we decided to take a step and to be independent because it was just in the in the limit that I understood that uh, my career will not go out as I knew the musician I knew in my life. Like everybody, Radiohead, Bjork, you know, they had a, a company, they're signed. I saw myself like this. I respected myself.
myself an, an, an artist and I talked with all the majors and everybody held me very nicely under his hand, but nobody just proposed me a contract and it took me a while. How did you take that rejection when, you know, you believe in yourself as you should and you have a vision and you think of becoming a musician as having this specific path, you get signed to a major label, they release your album, etc. And then having them say, well, we're not quite ready yet, which is happens to so many artists that are doing something different. So this is funny because I understood it's not that they don't want to. They waited me to do something. And this is uh, 2008, okay? 2008, already the majors waited the artists to do it independently. So it took me a while to understand and to have guts to do it. And uh, I did it. Uh, took friends in Paris that I met there. And uh, we wanted to realize a video clip. Suddenly I understood. I have my own ideas <laughs> that nobody can understand. And uh, I remember that I decided to realize myself the video clip. To direct it. Also to produce the, the whole album, okay? Because I saw that Apari was a, a demo. It was just a demo. I understood there is a musical producer that I need to meet and he will make the song for the radio, I know, etc., etc. But eventually I did everything alone. The realization, the vision, the, the PR, the A&R. A&R, it means all the artistic view of, of everything. The musical production also. So what did you feel like when you did something that is really unlike any other artist to do it 100% yourself, to create your vision from the songwriting to the music itself, to the directing the video, et cetera, et cetera, and then you're releasing it independently. What did you feel like before the release? Were you nervous? Were you excited? It's a very dramatic story because I was so afraid. My uncle gave me money for this video clip and the whole album, I put money that I, I kept for years to do it. And like it's one shot shot and you or you lose everything or you succeed I was so afraid that I keep the video clip on my hard disk for one year and a half I didn't know what to do it's like I still waited for the the prince on, on the white horse in a way to do it correctly I wanted to do it right and correctly I didn't want to lose it to put it on YouTube that it will go away and then I I lose all the energy that I put on it you know but still, I mean, you were sitting on this. That's amazing that you invested so much. And then you have such a clear vision, which is actually something that so many artists don't have. Like you actually have your own vision, but then it's just like sitting silently hiding in your computer for a year and a half. When did you get the, you know, the courage to say, okay, like it's time, be free. I remember this day. I really, I needed help because I'm so hard with myself sometime and I, I want to do it right. I, I, I'm afraid to, to make a mistake and I don't want to lose all the energy that I put on it. So I remember my sister, she told me, it was in the beginning, started Facebook, YouTube, all this. And she told me, you know, today we don't keep things. We don't wait somebody to discover you. You just get out your talent and then something happened. And it was for me to suicide. I remember this day, I woke up in the morning. I did a meditation with my mom that she's a yoga teacher also. That's convenient. <laughs> good to have. Yeah. And I felt open to the world. I felt something good. I don't know. I'm going to put out the video clip on YouTube. And I, I remember I felt like atomic bomb. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> Ha ha ha.
<laughs> but the energy that I had inside was very strong. And the reaction I got, especially from moms about their kids, that they wanted to hear more and more the songs. My daughter, she's in a depression and she don't want to go to school. And I just put her the song and suddenly she's happy. And, and I even didn't imagine that it can influence like these feelings of persons. What a validation. That's like the best you can get is to have something move someone like that. Exactly. And it gave me, yeah, it gave me a validation to go with this direction. This is what's important because then I understood, okay, this single is good and I directed it. There is no uh, musical direction. I don't ask for permission from nobody. I do what I want as I want. Amazing. And then I, I decided to do this all album alone in this direction, this uh, musical direction like Apari. After seeing that success though, when you talk about being hard on yourself and wanting everything to be right. And I feel like that's such a common feeling for people in all kinds of different fields. Like you can't release it, like you can't start, like you can't expose whatever it is you're doing to the world until it's perfect. Has that changed at all? Did it change over the course of your album? Like, did you get any more kind of confidence in saying fly? No, I'm still very tough with myself, <laughs> but uh, I think it's a work that I'm doing all the time. And there is a lot of fears. There is fears to not succeed and also fears to succeed. Yeah, it's very frightening. I think that's a great point that nobody talks about. And actually, it, I don't think it's come up at all on the podcast so far with so many different inspiring women is that that's also a thing. Like everybody thinks about the fear of failure, but there's also definitely a fear of succeeding, a fear of sort of your own power, a fear of what you'll do, you know, if all your dreams do come true. It's really interesting. I must tell you, honestly, it's very exciting to talk today because I'm uh, again in another direction in my career that it's uh, like another very big push, you know, and I feel again that I need to work on my fears again and to be ready to to open because even the succeed that I had and I still have it's my still my work and my everything, but I know I can be in a different place, okay? Every album it's a process and especially music industry change all the time. The the way to to get out it's like it's changing all the time. I cannot do the same system I did 7 years ago because it's not at all the same reality. After the success of Apare, did you feel because I feel like this is connected to all of these fears you're talking about, did you feel suddenly a new pressure because you already put so much pressure on yourself just artistically, did you feel a pressure from outside like before the next album Alamont in 2015? No, I, I remember there is a fear there and that everybody asked me uh, uh, how you feel. It's uh, threatening after such a big success to make another album. But I was so, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, proud of myself that I still had amazing songs. As you should. <laughs> I, and I remember I said, wow, it's good. Ellis, it's really, really good. And Marrakesh, it's amazing. <laughs> so it, it still works.
I remember that uh, this big success that I had uh, in 2012 and 2013, it was very intense in two years. Uh, the amount of money that got into, it's like a work of five years and all the money got in one year. Very concentrated and also you need to check out with uh, like uh, contability how to explain it. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> like you've been doing nothing for five years. Yeah. <laughs> how do you explain your success? And you're like, I've been working all day, <laughs> all spending. night since I was five years old composing for this time, for this year. But yeah, they unfortunately, they don't count that stuff. And suddenly to get such a big amount, you know, I remember to tell you the truth. I tell here all the women with a lot of love that I was afraid from this. I was not ready for this. I remember I said to myself things completely crazy and I didn't treat myself. I didn't have a psychological uh, uh, treatment. I remember in my mind, I said, what am I going to do with all this money? That's so interesting that you felt like your art was great. You were proud of it. You obviously knew what you were doing because you wanted to control all of it and you did it successfully. But when the, the financial reward comes for it, like the outward confirmation of your success, because it's not just in, you know, the mothers who write to you, it's also obviously in financial success, which is a great thing. You almost feel like you don't deserve it. Like it's not okay. Yeah. And this is interesting because the world of financial and success not necessarily go together. You can be very successful and uh, no money or uh, the opposite. For sure. So this is also, it's about, I believe about energy and work inside of you. Of course, that I was so afraid of this changement and that I was not ready for it. But I think that all this process, all this period that I've been through today, preparing myself to, to another reality, to work on my fears, I must say that I'm doing a lot of uh, work like this. There is a technical work about composing songs and things, but to tell you the truth, the hard work here is this. I feel that I, uh, I can block myself also. Like uh, the fears are very strong. On that note, I just have to say for what it's worth, probably not much, but still hearing you talk about it and hearing this process that you went through with Apari and what it took you to release it, that even now, you know, after critical success, three albums later, I almost think of it as a pregnancy in a way when you're talking about it, like you have this very long period of creation that's inside yourself that is hard to describe. You don't know what's going to happen after, like the after is very abstract. And then that fear of, you know, what happens next and, you know, to say you should have no fear is silly because that never works with anyone. Otherwise, you know, therapists <laughs> wouldn't have a job. But I think you've shown so clearly that just trusting yourself and going with your vision is 100% the right thing to do. I think it always is. So whatever it is that you're working on now, that's a new sort of mountain, go for it. Just don't leave it in your hard drive, at least for a year and a half. It'd be a shame. <laughs> Let it free. I remember uh, when I got pregnant, I was uh, shocked that my doctor gave me a due date. So for me, if you compare creating an album and creating a, a kid, I was shocked that the process is just, it's made. It's not depend on me in a way, you know? Yeah, which is actually very different, I guess, right, than making your album. With album, it's different. You need to decide to do the design. You need to imagine exactly how it is to create it. You know what I mean? We have to actively create it. And here... There is a designer, there is a producer. <laughs> it's you, you're just not aware of the decisions you're making. You are the designer and the producer, but it's like, you're like eating fries while the producing is happening. 
Yeah, but we're talking about uh, this thing in life uh, of a woman. Uh, wow, I was shocked, completely shocked. And this is a, a subject and a discussion about femininity. And uh, I think I'm really glad to be feminine. And if I can talk more and more and more about it, I will do it because it's for me, it's another world. And I, I met it only after the pregnancy, after having uh, birthed my child. And uh, this different cut, you know, the moment you have the baby in your hands, and you start to live in non-time. Yeah, no kidding. I have a seven-month-old and I still don't know what time it is at any time. I'm still in <laughs> amazing. it. Amazing. You look amazing. <laughs> so this is something that I suddenly understood what is the feminine world and what it is to dedicate yourself to something that is not yourself. What is this incredible power that a woman has to live a tell to delete herself to something else. It's like, it's so strong. It's so, so uh, something I will never forget, but you forget very easily. And I see it like I open door for another dimension and suddenly the door is closed. And now you continue with the masculine life. You continue as usual. You do like you saw nothing and you continue like a normal person but this I, I don't accept, okay? Until now, I'm doing all the strange uh, course about femininity, crazy and strange things I, I do. The Zoom with women to talk about the womb, to talk about femininity, the, talk about the, the sculpture of the ass, to do uh, oriental dance. There, it's also something that gives me a lot of influence because suddenly I see what there is behind all the beats that I'm doing. So after becoming a mother for the first time at once, you saw this other dimension, which I love. That is 100% the description. This other dimension where you completely almost erase yourself, at least in the beginning, give yourself 100% to this other being, but also kind of discovered your femininity, it sounds like. Yeah, I feel uh, I was very... Um, masculine in a way in my head i work a lot from the head that's why i have a lot of blocks also and afraid from things blah 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 but when you go with it from your body when you move the hips they say today there is a kind of a part of your brain all your willing is there I love that. And I think I'm going to try to take that because I can say very briefly my experience of new motherhood. It's interesting when you're talking about the body so much that I connect 100% with what you're saying. Like that's how it should be. But for me, it's been, I think it's interesting that after creating a being in your body, something that's so intimately connected with your body, after this period, this other dimension period of giving yourself completely, I've felt very disconnected from my body. Like I'm just, I don't have time to be, you know, in touch with myself or, you know, to kind of see how I'm feeling. If I'm too tired or if my body hurts, it's like irrelevant because there's a little baby girl who's like, pick me up right now. So I really like that thinking that actually, you know, after pregnancy to circle back and find your body in a new way and connect to your body in a new way and that power. Exactly. It's the first time in my life that I had to be feel like an animal in a way that I, I need to be very, uh, to hear my needs. Now I'm hungry. Okay, because if I will not eat now, I cannot feed my baby and all the system cannot work if I don't have my needs. And I learned so much about it that uh, suddenly you, you need to hear yourself. And if you are good and you, you are fitted with everything that you need, 
So you can give others, you can give the family. Suddenly you see how much power it's a woman in a family. If a woman feels free to be herself 100% in the house, if it's accepted or not, it was a big drama for me because I, I actually got a divorce one year ago exactly. And also for me, it was a huge step in my life to see it some things that I cannot live with it and not to hide it under the carpet. The whole uh, last album, the third album, Caloritil, uh, What Time Is It? It's a lot about it also, about uh, this uh, new medium, the new life that I had uh, after getting birth, after losing my grandparents, being lonely also. And uh, it's a quite hard album, but I felt like I needed to talk about it also. and to. But it sounds like it was a result of what you're saying, of realizing that you need to be able to be yourself in your home and 100% yourself and have that kind of oxygen in order to be the best mom in order to be the best creator and all of that stuff. So it sounds like you took the, you know, the step that's maybe the hardest step, but the one that actually allows you to breathe in that way. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting, but it was very hard for me because uh, I don't let go so easily. And I really fight for things. You know, sometimes I feel that uh, to give up, it's like, it's too easy. Yeah, I think that's such a common feeling though, especially around divorce also. I think so many people feel guilty. I've heard that so many times and from friends, like it's such a shared feeling of like failure or giving up. But I think a lot of times failure is also staying in something that you know is not right for you and you know is not good for you and forcing yourself to be in a situation that's not where you need to be. That's more failure than saying, okay, this is the new part that's right for me. So this is, for example, a logic that maybe for you it's clear, but you know, I felt that I needed to go through generation in my genes, North African, nobody divorced in my family. It doesn't exist. It's like the, the, the logic, it's, it's hard for you. So you change it or it's hard for you. You stay. It's a destiny. If you don't fix this, so it will come back to you the same, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's true in a way. There is a work to do. I, I'm doing a, a huge work on myself. But uh, still, I, I know that uh, in the Mediterranean mentality, in the North African also, and the religion, Judaism, it's uh, something very hard to do. Very, 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 very hard to do. And I felt I became more modern in a way. Yeah, like a separation from your roots of some kind. Yeah, it's like cutting myself from my roots and from the logic in my genes because I really felt hard. Nobody told me don't do it or something like this. It's from myself. I was like fighting myself. It was crazy. What you said, I think for me, the logic is clear. It's one of those things that's 100% easier said than done. And most of the time we can all see the logic in something or intellectually know the difference between that and actually doing it or feeling it yourself. It's a whole other world. And everybody has a process to go through whatever decision it is. It can be divorce, it can be anything else, you know, the road to feeling ready for it. I know I don't have you for much longer and I still have like 500 things I want to talk to you about. So <laughs> I think I have to narrow it down a little bit. Tell me a little bit about performance, actually. I'm just interested in that part of you as an artist, you know, listeners who've seen you, it's just this all encompassing, beautiful, like you feel all the influences on stage. Is that something that always also came naturally to you? Like piano, you know, like composing, do you ever get nervous still performing? I mean, did you get nervous opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> in 2012 or is it just like, oh yeah, another day? <laughs> 
So I, I'm not nervous to tell you the truth. It's something that I, I like. I like to be on stage and especially in Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was uh, the first time I think that I was uh, in a, such a big uh, stage in front of 50,000 people. It's like to, to be in front of the sea. I can tell you that more there is people, less I am nervous. Yeah. I, I discovered that if I sing in front of like three, four people that I know directly, I feel a, a, bit, a bit more stressed. Yeah, it's much more intimate. Exactly. So the intimate thing, it's something that I'm more afraid of because you know why? Like I, I imagine what they think about me. You get in your head. If I'm free from what people think about me, I feel amazing. Like I'm completely free. That's true for everything, I guess. Also for releasing an album that's, or releasing a song that's a whole new thing and a whole new direction. It's like, there's always the, what will people think of this new me kind of thing in there. I talked about it with my musicians also, that uh, to critic yourself, when it's get, getting out, it's just getting out. I have a song, I just write the song. But sometimes it comes so fast, the critic on myself. While writing the song, already the critic is starting. And then I know myself in this critic. And I'm very strong in critic. Very crazy. I can uh, see point of view of folklore point of view. I see very intellectual po point of view, very uh, like underground point of view, very popular point of view. So I you're basically every possible person who might be coming from a different background or influence how they will view what you're creating. Yeah, I can see from a lot of points of view. Which is also, by the way, what makes you incredible because that is what makes your music. But I guess it's very hard on the flip side too. There's two sides to that. Yeah, sometimes I, I think it's too hard there is period I feel I'm too critical and the most I let it just go, it's better. Do you have any, obviously it's, it's the kind of thing that's a, probably a lifetime work in progress, but have you learned any kind of tricks to kind of make your inner critic shut up a little bit, especially when you're in the middle of creating? This is the, 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 the hardest work is to love yourself. Okay. <laughs> With all the, the details, sometimes things that is less good to even love this. Okay. To accept yourself as you are exactly and to say, okay, this is who I am and uh, to try to shine like this. This is your best. This is the best. It's interesting. I thought about it uh, not long time ago that it's like a diamond that it's cut from all the sizes. Mm -hmm. And then if it's cut good from all the sizes, it's like shining from all the sizes. But this is also a work and it's, there is periods. I think periods that I like myself, <laughs> I accept myself. So in the period I allowed myself to create much more. And uh, years after I read it and I am amazed sometimes, even from the guts, only the guts to take it off like this and not to, to care about uh, what... Uh, it kind of, it makes me think when you're talking about that process with yourself, which I think we all go through to some degree. I mean, a hundred percent, it's very universal. It reminds me of what you said about your work in the albums, about always wanting to have it perfect and waiting to release it until it's perfect. But there is no objective perfection, first of all, of course, and to see it for what it is and put it out there, like you say, to see that the state that it's in is the best and it is ready to be out there and it doesn't need you know, 10 more years of tweaking for some obscure thing to, to be perfect because there is no such thing. It's very interesting uh, issue, very interesting subject. It's like friends. You can be with the uh, colleagues, okay, that you are 
like a genius near them and you feel like a genius near them and you can be with people that are so genius and you say, I'm an wow, idiot. I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Yeah. And it's interesting to, to meet, first of all, everybody, but not to have balance. Yeah. To tell you the truth, most of my life I've been with people that is genius really genius people. And I liked it because, uh, first of all, I learned a lot from people all the time. But in the same time, I didn't feel enough secure to, to say my word because I felt not good enough. But then it's, it's funny that you go to another place or you see another world in medium of art or something and suddenly every fart become a, a god and you say wow this is so good <laughs> this is so good i know that i can do better than that and suddenly you see proportion in the world so extreme different but still you can be accepted you can be paid you can be have amazing life in this place and you can be miserable in this place you know yeah i feel like it's one thing first of all about it really touches on the whole issue of comparing yourself to other people which everybody does. I don't believe there's anybody who doesn't do that. But the process of not comparing also just like life paths, you know, so many people look at, well, I'm supposed to have a family by this age. I'm supposed to be here in my career by this age. All these things we're supposed to quote unquote have at certain times. And it's so difficult if you compare yourself to other people and then feel like you're not in the right place or not behind. And that's, it's so useless because everybody is on their own path. But again, easier said than done. You can have the same experience on a very lower level. Like maybe it's less deep, but it's also such a big part of our lives. Like if you're on social media, only looking at like celebrities on their yachts on Instagram and all these things, you can feel like you're in <laughs> this terrible position in your life or something and look how the rest of the world is, you know, living. And then you can suddenly, I don't know, go to the supermarket and run into a homeless person and suddenly realize, wait a minute, I have so much, you know, it's all, it's all perspective. Yeah. Very important. I, I know that um, I'm running a little bit over. So let me ask you two final quick questions. One is, well, they're big questions, but you can answer them <laughs> however you like. We talked a little bit about success. And I think uh, one of the biggest things in these conversations is the concept itself of success. Like you said, the success isn't only a fixed thing, but I think it also changes the older we get, our definition of success changes. So is it different for you? I mean, what does success look like or feel like for you now? Wow. Amazing question. Um, it's only also a bit about comparing, but, uh, as I said, I feel that, uh, today I'm not in a place I can be I feel that I'm like, can go even farther, but, uh, for me, it's like being more on stage. Okay. Because on stage for me, it's the most magical thing in, in the career because uh, I feel it's beyond music. It's beyond something happens that I cannot explain. And uh, of course, uh, the creation of the albums. I wish to produce much faster because actually what's going on is the, the compare of, uh, rhythm that I write songs and compose songs and the time that I produce it, it's too long. Like if I had a producer that really understand my mind and I can throw in my songs and he can produce it. So I would be much faster in uh, getting out albums. And this is like a dream for me if I can do. I think uh, getting out my voice to the world, it's like concert, but it can be in other mediums, can be 
in uh, films that I would like to create also, to travel in places and to film it, like to see different cultures. And my dream is to go to Tunisia, for example. I have a friend that lives there and I, to go to his place and to see markets, to see how they eat, what is their lifestyle, uh, if they have a bed in their living room. <laughs> That's a good full circle moment. <laughs> They speak uh, with their moms. Uh, I'm really, I have to say, hungry for these details. Even though I'm not in the university, I'm not doing it until the end. But I like to ask all these questions and to, to have some uh, inclusions about uh, different cultures. I can 100% see also how that would blend beautifully into your work and what you've done to actually to go to the source, so to speak. And I love those questions too, like how many times you talk to your mom a, a day or a week or something. Those like very basic things that actually link between everyone and remind you how similar everyone is, even if you don't understand their language or their culture. So finally, before I truly let you go, the question I always ask every incredible woman uh, on this podcast, what would you like to tell your 20-year-old self, your 18-year-old self, a younger relief if you're sitting down with her at whatever point you choose, I guess. But, you know, before so much of this journey that you've gone through, anything you would want to sit down and, and tell her? Wow, it's so uh, emotional. You know, it's funny because I saw in my life uh, a lot of rabbis. My North African family, they see rabbis. They don't have patience for a therapist. You know, they just see a rabbi. <laughs> Go straight to just the rabbi. tell you everything on the face, even you don't understand necessarily what he said. But I remember in the 20 years, uh, some of them told me, don't trust people. Like, very hard thing to say. Wow. He saw me and, and it took me years, years to understand what he said because I didn't see a problem. Why not to trust people? What he, he means, actually, I did, really didn't understand. But today I understand. And when I educate my kids also, like how to, to, to be in life, you know, there is no bad people. They don't want to do something bad, but there are people that are doing bad things. I didn't believe in it. You know, I was really naive. I went really far with this naivety, really, really far. And maybe it's good in a way, you know, but I think that uh, I would tell myself to be more in my intuition, not to be afraid from my intuition because I, I have a very strong intuition and I wanted to close it. I don't know why, but to, to be logical. I didn't allow myself to go with my intuition. So this is something I would really do because it would change so many things in my life, like with people, in relationships, and with decision. Yeah, I think the intuition is something very important to develop more and more. I love that. I think that's a great place to end too, because I am a huge believer in the importance of intuition. And over time, for me, at least, I feel like the older we get and as more things, it's weird because on one hand, the older you get, you know yourself more. A lot of times you have more confidence in who you are and you know, saying no to people, for example, or whatever it is. But at the same time, there are many more distractions versus like when you're a child, you know, many more responsibilities and things that we feel like we're supposed to be and do. And I think it can be easy to get more and more separated from our intuition, actually, the, the older we get because of all these expectations and needs and roles we have to fulfill. And I think that's such a huge, important thing is to get back in touch with that intuition because it always has the right answer, but it's just a process of, you know, for everyone and for myself too, of, you know, how do you tap into that and clear away all the noise? Cause there's just so much noise all the time. So I love that piece of advice and I still need that. I'm not 20, but I definitely need that advice. So I'll take it. <laughs> 
So Rafe, I know you're working on your fourth album and you have two sons and it's late there and <laughs> you have a life to get back to. So instead of spending another two hours asking you things, which I could easily do, I'll let you go. Just tell us when do you think we can look forward to the fourth album or should I not ask you that? It will take time, I think, around uh, Mars. But until Mars, there will be singles. And that's it. Yeah, I'm working on it. It takes time. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I can <Yes>. only imagine. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking this time, Rif, in, in all of that. I really look forward to hearing all the new stuff whenever it's reading. No pressure. So Yeah, I would, I would love uh, to continue these conversations. I think it's very important and very interesting. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you're on Apple Podcasts and send us your thoughts, questions that you want answered or women you'd like to hear from on Twitter at Nari Ben or Instagram at Life Deconstructed Pod. Thanks as always to our super producer, Talia Golihov. I'm Nari Ben. See you next time on Life Deconstructed.